2: Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk about an essay by Eric Foner on the subject of the execution of Sacco and Vanzetti uh, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti two uh, Italian uh, anarchists who uh, in America in 1927 uh, were accused of the murder of a security guard sentenced to death and uh, executed in that year. The essay in question, um, written for The Nation um, magazine, uh, was called uh, The Men and the Symbols uh, in, on August the 20th, 1977. In it, he cites the public intellectual uh, Edmund Wilson, who said in 1927 that the case revealed the whole anatomy of American life, with all its classes, professions and points of view, and all their relations, and it raised almost every fundamental question of our political and social system. Sacco and Vanzetti and their execution, much like the execution of um, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, uh, threw up powerful and important questions about what kind of country America was. Um, I think perhaps it's um, hyperbole hyperbole to compare it exactly to the, the Dreyfus case... Um, which created a a national constitutional crisis in France. Uh, But certainly it is one of those um, cases that will not die, rather like the imprisonment of, say, the the Guildford Four and the Birmingham Six in Great Britain, uh, who were accused of uh, an IRA mainland bombing campaign uh, that they they never did. Um, Again, a, a, a gross injustice Uh, that is impossible for the state to simply erase away. And in both cases, with Sacco and Banzetti, and with the uh, Guildford Four and the Birmingham Six, it's important to reflect on who the people were who were in the firing line, who were accused um, of monstrous crimes. Um, Italian immigrant anarchists and uh, working-class Irish people uh, all easy targets, um, given the the kind of the climate of the times, and the prevalent political discourses running through society at the time. So let's get to know Sacco and Vanzetti a little bit. Um, Eric Foner writes: In origin, Sacco and Vanzetti were no different from the millions of other immigrants who entered the United States in the early 20th century. Sacco was born in the village of Torre Tar- Tar- in southeastern Italy, one of 17 children in a relatively prosperous peasant family, emigrating to this country, America, in 1908, at the age of 17, he learned to edge trim shoes and worked in a shoe factory in Milford, Massachusetts. The common picture of Sacco as a good shoemaker, suggesting uh, the family, the familiar Italian-American cobbler, is misleading. He was a skilled factory workman who commanded high wages. But um, by the time of his arrest in 1920, he was married, owned a house, and had accumulated $1,500 in savings. In contrast to Sacco, the settled family man, Vanzetti was an itinerant and skilled labourer, one of the innumerable tramps and migrants of the period, who could not or would not adjust to the discipline of the new industrial order. Born in Northwestern Italy in 1888, he spent seven years in school and later took great pride in recalling his excellent record. Arriving in America in 1908, he was first a dishwasher in New York City restaurants, then roamed New England, working variously in a stone quarry, a brick furnace, digging ditches, and finally as a fish peddler. Neither man had come to America as a radical, but both were attracted to anarchism here. Sacco and his wife on occasion performed in street theatre to raise funds for the anarchists, and both men were involved in strikes and war resistance. Sacco collected bread for the Lawrence strikers in 1912, and assisted strikes in, um, of Massachusetts foundry and shoe workers. Vanzetti was blacklisted for his part in a strike at the Primith Cordage factory in 1916. When the, two men, uh, when the two men met is not known. However, in 1917, Sacco, Vanzetti and other New England anarchists fled to Mexico for a year to avoid the draft and possible deportation for anti-war activities. The more intellectual of the two, Vanzetti, during his years in America read books ranging from Dante to Marx, Tolstoy and Kropotkin, both lived among Italians. Neither spoke English, and well, uh, well, and both planned to return to Italy. It was their arrest that made them fully part of American life. So here you have two men who existed in this uh, immigrant community that wasn't very deeply penetrated by um, the English language or um, incorporation, uh, or in what you might call assimilation. Into uh, American life, um, circulating amongst these immigrant communities was often the the, but not exclusively, um, the radical politics that had come with them from Europe. When you look at accounts of Leon Trotsky coming to New York uh, in 1917, he is greeted by mainly um, immigrant uh, Russians who shared similar. Um, socialist uh, ideas to him and he disappears really into a kind of a very little known uh, world of Russian revolutionary politics in New York. Um, If you've ever seen the documentary Manufacturing Consent about Noam Chomsky, um, he talks about his uh, early life and the vast range of um, anarchist literature and anarchist newspapers on sale in new york from newsstands in polish in ukrainian in yiddish so these cultures existed and it's only really been with the kind of the application of a century of determined effort that they have been effectively stamped out or at least pushed sufficiently underground however if you look at the state of political radicalism in america today you'd have to argue that they, these kinds of, of things are, are very much back with a vengeance. However, during the post-war Red Scare, um, immigration and anti-communism uh, become inextricably interlinked in the minds of everyone from uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, Warren Harding, uh, all the way down to the readers of uh, national newspapers, the kind of growing suburban middle-class bourgeois Americans um, who felt under threat from this this militancy. The reality, of course, being that there was very little, uh, very little direct threat to the standards of livings of middle-class Americans from uh, resentful and angry, uh, striking working-class poor Americans and new immigrants. And purposefully leaving... Um, the uh, story of black Americans out of the conversation here, not out of any desire to discriminate, but because the social and economic factors, their ability to form unions, their ability to strike, um, is deeply affected by racism in America. And it's, it's a much bigger and longer conversation. And unionisation amongst black sharecroppers in the 1920s meets with an equivalent Degree of extreme violence, but this is often extra legal Ku Klux Klan type stuff. Whereas the uh, destruction of Sacco and Banzetti and uh, the uh, white immigrant American left didn't need the intervention of the Ku Klux Klan. Organs of state like the FBI were on board with that one. So the facts of the crime are this. Um, on April the 15th, 1920, um, at a shoe company in South Braintree, Massachusetts, uh, there's a, a robbery and a murder. Um, a paymaster uh, and a guard were carrying $16,000 of payroll um, to the factory, and two men who'd been waiting nearby shot and killed them. They were picked up uh, by a car carrying three other men. Sacco and Banzetti were arrested three weeks later while accompanying a, a friend of theirs, uh, uh, Mike Boda, uh, an anarchist, um, who was thought to have been involved in the crime, um, and they were taking him to pick his car up from a repair shop um, when the trial happened, the major issue um, a major issue was made of the fact that Sacco and Vanzetti were armed at the time of their arrest and also the fact that they lied under questioning uh, they said that they didn't know Boda um, and they said that they weren't anarchists. The behavior um, alleged uh, alleged by the prosecution suggested guilt um, fairly. ...thin and flimsy um, uh, level of proof demanded there, really. Um, At the time, they had not been told the charges against them. So, under the conditions of the Red Scare, they may well have thought... ...that they were being accused of some sort of political crime or or misdemeanour. They were anarchists being deported from the country uh, in 1920. They weren't aware that they were being accused of robbery... ...and they weren't aware that they were being uh, accused of murder... So they may well have simply been uh, attempting to deny that they were anarchists to prevent themselves from being deported. This, in turn, becomes a, an establishing feature of their supposed guilt at trial, which is you know, why we have uh, systems of, uh, hopefully in functioning democracies, systems of checks and balances where uh, self-incrimination doesn't take place under interrogation. And it's worth discussing for a moment the Red Scare and the the context behind um, the um, Sacco and Vanzetti case. So the the Red Scare and the political repression that went with it were perhaps the most severe before 9-11, the most uh, severe and prolonged uh, attack on American um, civil liberties and uh, freedoms during uh, the 20th century um, that you have during the First World War. For example, the the Espionage and Sedition Acts, which make it um, illegal um, to speak out against the war. Virtually any kind of anti-war uh, comment or sentiment could wind up with a uh, jail sentence. However, the political importance of creating uh, monstrous uh, moral panics and fears didn't decline with the end of hostilities. So instead of the uh, Germans, the Hun uh, the, as a threat to civilization, the foreign-born revolutionary replaces uh, that figure. And the 1920s see a continuation of the same kind of uh, press-reporting and uh, political repression, so for example the uh, Red Scare, which began with the Palmer raids, um, mass arrests uh, in 1920, where 4,000 radicals were um, arrested, and several hundred were eventually deported. Ironically, many of these were social democrats and anarchists who who were deported to the Soviet Union, where they were promptly arrested, and many wound up uh, being executed by the Bolsheviks, who had... Uh, no interest in rival poli- rival figures on the left emerging.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello?
1: Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: From the United States. One contemporary of Sacco and Vanzetti's was the Italian anarchist Andrea Salcedo, um, who accidentally fell out of a window in a police building, uh, falling 15 stories to his death, Um, after being questioned by federal agents. So you can understand why Sacco and Vanzetti may have been slightly nervous. The trial began on May 31st, 1921, and the prosecutions tried to place Sacco and Vanzetti at the scene. And they tried to do that through eyewitnesses and some physical evidence. The uh, defence produced eyewitnesses who denied either man had been there and they produced solid alibis to show that the men hadn't been there either. The evidence that convicted uh, Vanzetti was pretty weak. Um, There was one man who claimed to have seen him at the scene of the crime, identifying Vanzetti as the driver of the getaway car, but this contradicted almost all of the witnesses who described the driver having fair complexion. The prosecution uh, alleged, uh, with very little evidence, that a thirty-eight revolver Vanzetti was carrying at the time of his arrest belonged to the murdered guard. The uh, defence produced 13 witnesses, all Italian, to testify that Vanzetti had been selling fish on the day of the crime. Sacco, witnesses alleged, had both been at the scene of the crime and not been there. Uh, Some witnesses for the prosecution... Um, had viewed Sacco uh, on his own instead of in a lineup, which was a, a violation of police procedures. Um, the first thing that the witnesses did is that they they uh, confirmed to themselves, in a kind of classic case of confirmation bias, that he must therefore have have been there. For example, once they had seen uh, Sacco in the one man lineup, they were very uh, their memories of what the killer looked like suddenly seemed to dramatically improve. And that tells you more about kind of the uh, merging of imagination and memory that we all tend to suffer from than anything else. Both um, prosecution and defence produced ballistics experts to prove that the 32 bullet bullet, uh, from the gun um, that killed the guard had been fired by uh, Sacco. A prosecution expert has been carefully uh, coached by the prosecution to say the exact wording um, that would make it almost incontrovertible that this had happened, whereas the reality is that um, later he uh, recounted his testimony and said it was not possible that Sacko's gun could have fired the shot. In 1961... Um, two independent experts reaffirmed that Sacco had fired the fatal shot, um, but this still remains in dispute that day. supposedly, Sacco had gone to um, the Italian uh, embassy in order to gain a visa to return back to Italy. There were witnesses there um, who could attest to this, but more significantly, there's evidence that the prosecution didn't show. There was no attempt to determine who had fired the other five bullets that were found at the scene. Um, There was no attempt to um, find the stolen money or to link it to the defendants. Nobody knew what had happened to that. There was no attempt to uh, establish a motive for the crime. Um, And there was no presentation of fingerprints as evidence. However, newspaper reports indicated that fingerprints would be found on the getaway car, which would surely suggest if those hadn't been presented that there's a significant reason why. The trial was conducted uh, in an atmosphere of intense hostility uh, to the defendants. Uh, Newspaper reporters were astounded by the prejudice shown by the judge, Webster Thayer, and the prosecutor, Frederick Katzman. Um, who bullied um, the defendants, uh, really regarding their political beliefs. And the uh, politics, the anarchism of the two men, was also put on trial. Um, Sacco um, was asked whether he loved America, um, whether he thought America was a free country, why he had avoided the draft, and what he thought of Harvard University, and whether he had sent his son to public school, uh, which he had done. He later said, catsman, to a friend, did you see what I did with those anarchistic bastards? So conviction was really a foregone conclusion, much as it was in Great Britain in the 1970s with the Guildford and Birmingham pub bombings. And I, I think that the story here is um, not so much the tragedy of the uh, execution, really the judicial murder of Sacco and Vanzetti, but the political climates that create these miscarriages of justice and the weakness in democratic and judicial processes that result in policemen, prosecutors... And judges and juries really unconsciously collaborating with one another to produce not a judicial outcome, but a political and an ideological one, i.e. these people are enemies of the state and they must be destroyed. Not uh, not really the workings of a a judicial system, which is where justice is meant to be blind, irrespective of the beliefs of those who might be on trial. For the following six years, uh, defence lawyers filed motions to uh, call for a new trial. They claimed that there was new evidence, um, that some prosecution witnesses had recanted their testimony, um, that there was an organised crime gang, the Morelli gang of Providence, Rhode Island, who had carried out the robbery that evidence suggested. Uh, Thayer rejected all motions and the Supreme Court upheld the decision. In 1927 they uh, pronounced the sentence of death and at this point the case had gone global. It had become an international international cause celebre and it shone a light on the American judicial system. Massachusetts governor Fuller said that he appointed a three-man advisory committee um, that would consider the fairness of the verdict. Um, President of MIT Samuel Stratton um, a former judge, Robert Grant, and at the head, um, Abbott Lawrence Lowell, the president of Harvard University. Um, and the, these were uh, really powerful establishment figures who could legitimise uh, the judicial process. And the New Republic reported at the time, the life of an Italian anarchist was as foreign to them as life on Mars. Lowell's presence, writes um, Eric Foner, Lowell's presence recalled the turbulent history of the immigrant factory workers uh, in the cities bearing his familial names. For years, he'd been an official official of the Immigration Restriction League. Among his contributions to life at Harvard was the establishment of a segregated residence for black students. The commission's findings affirmed the verdict and sentence, and despite last-minute appeals, The federal courts, Sacco and Vanzetti were executed. What more can immigrants from Italy expect? remarked um, Hayward Brun. It is not every prisoner who has a president of Harvard throw the switch for him. One point that uh, Eric Foner makes, and I I think this is very important, is that it's it's pretty low hanging fruit, pretty obvious stuff to say that this was a political trial. And yet, many commentators, um, Eric Foner points out, don't take the politics of the two men seriously at all. It's uh, as if to suggest that, well, they were probably innocent, but they spouted all this kind of naive, um, anarchic, utopian sort of stuff, which uh, is to suggest that if one had a kind of more mainstream set of political ideas, if one was sort of centre-left and centre-right, then a miscarriage of justice against that individual might actually be... It's somehow worse. Defence lawyers seem to have sabotaged Sacco and Vanzetti before the jury. Uh, Herbert Ehrman, one of the defense uh, defenders, said he found their political views absurd and pathetically impracticable. Historian Roberta Feuerlicht, um, who has also reviewed the case, um, who believed in the, the men's innocence, um, spoke of them prattling about the proletariat um, and the subtext to this is that um, anarchism was such a, a flawed idea that um, she could only be sceptical um, how deep their beliefs ran. And Ferner points out that actually it was a central article of faith in the lives of both men. Anarchism hasn't really fared the 20th century, the storms of the 20th century, very well. It has been uh, as devastated by the left as it has by uh, the right. Um, Soviet communism and Maoism and the various other um, state-led radical left projects of the 20th century devastated anarchists uh, in their path. You'll need to look at Stalinism in Spain uh, to see that. So it's difficult for us to remember now seeing anarchism as a fringe discourse, though I think in Trump's America it seems to be making something of a comeback. That before the First World War and during the First World War, anarchism was the leftist creed of Europe. That people like the Bolsheviks were in a minority, um, and the uh, thing that the game changer for um, Marxist Leninists was the acquisition of the, the levers of state power in the Soviet Union. So when we look back at Sacco and Branzetti, um we need to try to kind of rethink what we think about anarchism at the time, as it not being a kind of a fringe crackpot uh, ideology, but a, a mass movement. And it wasn't simply imported into America. It was homegrown. You rewind by 20 or 30 years and look at things like the Haymarket riots and all that. Um, For this, read The World That Never Was by Alex Butterworth. But there was a a deep and rich vein of um, American anarchism in the late 19th and early 20th century. And it didn't simply come on ships from Italy and Spain and Ireland and Poland um, and arrive at Ellis Island. Not at all. And there's a, a lot more to be said on the subject of um, American anarchism, and I hope to return to this um, pretty shortly. Uh, the phono essay in Battles for Freedom, which you can get through my good buddies at IB Tourist, is, um, it goes on for quite a lot longer than I've got time to talk about now, but um, hopefully there'll be an opportunity in the next week or so to dip back into um, the uh, roots of American anarchism and uh, immigrant anarchism and explore it more thoroughly. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh.